Okay, thanks for uh, joining us today. This is Bob Cooney and I'm here at VRLA in beautiful downtown Los Angeles. Um, and I am here today with Ryan Wang, who is founder of Outpost Capital, which is a, a VC firm based in Silicon Valley that specializes in the VR market. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you, Bob. So um, let's uh, give, just give us a little bit kind of elevator pitch, you would say, on Outpost Capital. Sure. So uh, Outpost Capital is an early stage VC fund based in San Francisco, and uh, we make investment in VR and frontier technologies. Uh, regular check size between 100k to 500k and uh, um, we help out hopefully companies to build their presence uh, in China market because we think that you know China will be leading the VR consumer adoption. Cool so um, there's a lot of talk in the VR circles about China and, the, and that market is way ahead of the US in adoption of VR both from a consumer standpoint and an out-of-home market. Um, let's just start there. What, what's, give, us, give, give me your 10,000-foot view of the China market, a um, little bit consumer, but more focused on out-of-home and LBE and what you see happening over there. Yeah, sure. So uh, first of all, maybe I want to share my thesis on why China will be leading the mass consumer adoption, Yeah, specifically for VR, AR sector, right? Um, so I think there are a couple of reasons. First of all, if we look at who are the primary drivers of the ecosystem, right? Who's pushing the technology forward? Who's pushing the the adoption? So in the U.S., um, the guys that sitting on the top of the pyramid uh, will be the uh, big companies like Facebook, Google, Samsung, all these companies, right? They are pushing the technologies and they are pushing the uh, the adoption. But in China, um, there are not only big companies like Tencent, Alibaba. Um, Xiaomi, Huawei, they've been investing and developing a lot in the VR AR sector, but also China is a government lead market, right? And at this point, the Chinese government are trying to push the adoption of this technology. And uh, even the, uh, the chairman um, of China, President Xi Jinping, he, uh, he mentioned specifically that, you know, virtual reality is one of the key um, high-tech innovations that China will be focusing on in the next few years. Right? Interesting. Why is um, that? So, because um, I think, you know, at this point, China has a unique opportunity to lead the, um, the VR industry going forward, right? Yep. Look at, actually, um, if we look at the history, China used to be following the U.S. steps in terms of new technology and new business, new business model innovation. But um, these days, no matter in terms of business model innovation or in terms of the new technology or in terms of um, uh, new, new, new technology adoption, China is leading, right? So uh, on the technology side, if we look at the, what's happening in the drone space, especially consumer drones, right? Um, I think five years ago, there are still hundreds of companies developing new consumer drones, yeah. but now DJI has beat everybody, yeah. right? Yeah. They have, they've been a monopoly in this, in this market. And uh, on the business model uh, innovation side, you know, uh, I think one of the recent case is uh, a shared bike economy, right? It's like Uber for bikes. Mm -hmm. So um, last year, there are two companies in China that doing shared bike business. Um, they grew their business so fast that they become 
unicorn companies within a year, right? And recently, we see two companies in the U.S. They try to copy the business model from China and apply to the U.S. market. Yeah. So one company is called Line Bike. The other company is called Spur, and both of them has um, has raised over twenty million dollars to try to copy the business model from China to the U.S. Interesting, right? And in terms of new technology adoption, no matter from you know online to offline type of business model, or from you know the uh, the mobile payment system, right? So Apple has been pushing Apple Pay a lot, and Samsung has been pushing Samsung Pay a lot here in the U.S. But still, we feel insecure if we just go out with our our wallet in our pocket, right? But in China, nobody these days. Going to the, they are going on the street with their wallet. They are, they are always using WeChat Pay or AliPay. No matter they are shopping at a shopping mall or they uh they just buy some street food, right? So you can do pretty much all the transactions through mobile. Wow! So, so that's a that's an eye opener for right, me, right, right. to be honest with you. And having not been to China since mm-hmm. the mid '90s. Um, it's fascinating how fast they've grown to yep. a technology leadership position, right. and that's a great entree into the VR right. angle. And, so that uh, makes sense. and I think you know what's unique to VR for China is that um, China not only has the largest mobile market, right? They have the most number of mobile users, and we all know that the mass consumer adoption of VR. Will happen with mobile VR, so you already have this very good foundation out there. But also manufacturing capabilities uh, uh, in China. China has the Silicon Valley um, in terms of hardware, which is a Shenzhen city, right? Yep. So all the hardware-related companies, most likely they have uh, they they have some uh, presence in Shenzhen, and also you know um, China is a market that is a、uh, very adaptive. To the arcade type of model, internet cafes have proven to be a solid business, a huge business in China, and、uh, VR at this point fits very well into the arcade model. So、right. let's talk for the first second, because because the the I've heard the internet cafe model、mm-hmm. been brought up many times. I'd love your perspective on why. Um, what's unique about the Chinese market that's allowed the internet cafes to be sustainable? Right. So I think there are a few differences. Right.、Uh, so first of all,、um, China, the 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 China society,、um, the the percentage of the middle class、um, is much less than the percentage of the middle class、um, if we look at the U.S. population. Right. So、um, in China, it's、uh, when a new technology emerge. It's it's not very likely that、um, people are able to afford this new technology at the beginning, right? So that's that's a formation of the internet cafe phenomenal, so that people want to have access to this new technology, but at the same time, people cannot afford it if they just buy it directly. So internet cafe back in the days. Provide a very good solution so that if you can just pay a very small amount of money, but you can you can consume and you can adopt a new technology. But、right? what about what about the fact that the mobile phones are all connected to the internet? I'm assuming that、mm-hmm. they are. So that's first of all, is that true? Right.、Um, yeah, that's true. And if so, what what do they use the internet cafes for that they can't do just on their mobile phones? So you know, over the years, right? In the past twenty, internet cafe has been around for like. The past fifteen to twenty years, right? And over over this time, everybody is able to afford a laptop by now,、okay. right? But 
Um, what's counterintuitive here is that the internet cafe business in China is not going down. It's actually going right. up, right? The market size is is becoming larger every year, and it is interesting to find that the core pri the the primary driver for this phenomenon is that um, internet cafe is no longer a place for people who are not able to afford um, to buy the, the the computers, right? It become a place for millennials for teenagers to social with each other to hang out together to play video game together it's it's one of the social activities just like ktv just like you know movie theaters just like um you know yeah. you and your friends going shopping together it fits into one of these categories wow right interesting so, that's fascinating yeah it's it's a different definition at this point okay and so so that takes us to the vr arcades and mm -hmm. so so obviously the the natural um, progression is the vr technology is still way too expensive for the average consumer in that's china right. to buy so they're looking to be able to trial it out of home and so we'll see these v we're seeing how many i think you told me ten thousand vr arcades over in ten thousand vr arcades so by the end of 2016, there are over 10,000 VR kit. Now it's almost, you know, Q2 2017, right? Yeah. It, well, it's already Q2 2017, yeah. so I would only assume that the number is going to get larger. Yeah, and um, and you'd mentioned that the, that despite that, the business model still is not proven. That's validated. right. That's right. Well, uh, actually, there are three different type of uh, VR kit at this point. Um, so there are the smaller size of VR kit where it could be you know in front of a restaurant or um, you know um, on the corner of a movie theater that you just have this one or two installations and many of them are in, in, in a haptic chair that you know have a kind of egg type of shape right so it's like a ball of or, or egg right and people sitting inside the chair and the chair kind of uh, shake around while you are take while you are in a VR experience, right? So that's a small size and there are medium size where there are some some of them have uh, are equipped with some uh, motion capturing type of techniques and some of them have uh, you know some fancy installations um, um, stuff like you know you have yeah you are sitting in a car and you are having a racing experience in VR. Um, that kind of installation and there are large-scale multiplayer type of VR arcades, right? So there are some VR arcades um, powered by technologies like Project Alice mm -hmm. um, or some other, you know, OptiTrack uh, enabled type of, you know, VR experiences, right? So, um, so I would say that over 70% of these VR arcades are small size VR arcades and most of them are in shopping malls, movie theaters, site or anything that can attract a lot of consumers right okay. but the, you're saying I think 70% of them across the install base you don't think are making money mm -hmm. at this point. right right because at this point um, the in the cons on the consumer side well there are two sides of the problem right on the consumer side um, they are a novelty driven mindset rather than a content driven mindset mm. right uh, yeah. Most of the customers are people who have never tried VR before and the motivation for them to go to these arcades is that they want to try it, 
right? Um, so after they try it, they kind of know, hey, what is going on? So uh, the retention rate is extremely low at this point. Um, so so it's more of a novelty cell rather than a content cell at this point. And on the on the VR arcade side, right, on the operator side, they haven't figured out a way so that they can standardize everything on how do you onboarding new customers mm. who have never tried VR, um, what are the small tweaks you need to make in order to provide them a good experience. So, so that, you know, do you need to tweak the IDP? Do you need to, you know... What's IDP for the listeners? The, um, the, it's a distance between your two eyes. Got it. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, do you make some adjustments so that um, the, the headset is very comfortable to wear? And uh, at the end of the day, after you try the experience, is there anything you can kind of create a profile, track your progress, you know, stuff like that, right? So basically, this whole pipeline haven't established yet, and the the service providers are providing the service not as a um, not in a very sustainable way. Um, so I think that's a primary cause is that, and also right now there are no like killer content in VR arcade at this point. So I think that's some of the primary reasons why most of the VR arcade business, uh, most of the VR arcade owners are operating at a loss at this point. Interesting, and I and I think that um, you know we've started to see some turnover and some some VR arcades in this country kind of come and go, and right. people are still trying to figure out what the model is. And I was on a panel at. Um, VR arcade conference last week and with a guy who's franchising VR arcades and he said that they're starting to see quite a bit of repeat play and, and so it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out here but so do you think do you forecast that the VR arcade model will kind of follow the internet cafe model where initially it's kind of trial and then the experience um, kind of evolves into something that becomes more repeat play and then ultimately more social? Is that kind of the vision you think people right. have? Actually, I'm one of those people who are very optimistic about the future of VR kit. Although right now, it's not in a very good situation, right? Um, so basically, I think VR arcade will be one of the key to solve a very important problem for the whole industry, which is at this point, we are, I think the biggest one of the biggest problems for this industry is not that we don't have a large enough installation base, right? Mm. So until today, we have like 1 million high-end VR headset on the market, and we have over 5, five million you know, high-end mobile VR headset, um, which is also able to offer a decent VR experience, right? So it's not huge amount, but it's decent amount. Okay. I think the biggest problem at this point is that for people who already have this high-end VR headset, are they really spending time in it or not, right? I think that's the biggest question. And for me, as a, um, I, would, I would call myself a, as a VR pioneer who, you know, who's been very serious about the industry, who yeah. work in this industry, and uh, who tried everything. Um, for me, honestly, I spent somewhere around four to five hours in VR every week. And compared to the time I spent on my mobile phone and to on my PC, that's way much less, right? And to me, I I would say that I am a VR adopter, but I am not a true VR user. Mm. And I think you know, 
VR need to have is true VR user who's going to spend let's say two hours three hours in VR every day and that's gonna be the first critical mass of VR users right and for that to happen there has to be a reason to spend two or three hours in VR a exactly day and, and, exactly and and so you know, I think painting games and work simulators right, aren't gonna right. do that right? I think you know we are we are waiting for this type of killer content right and for this content it has to be social as well because yeah. VR is a very isolating experience yep. no matter what kind of fancy world you're presenting to the uh, to the users as long as you are getting there for like over half an hour the uh, the feeling of of loneliness is gonna kick in and it's gonna drag you off the VR experience back to the real world yep right so it has to be social and what's a better place to create a true VR social experience than the VR arcade model. Yeah. Right? I think at this point, with the, with the state of the art of the technology, VR arcade model is the best place to offer a decent VR social multiplayer type of experience, no matter it's co-op or competitive game. I think, you know, um, being able to go to an actual VR arcade with your friend physically together and experience these these experience together knowing that you know the avatar um of uh, in in this virtual world is some is your friend that's standing next to you yeah that's that's very important and so you, that are, level of social experience is i much totally higher. agree with you and, and so is are you seeing games developed specifically for vr arcades in china that mm -hmm. address that um i think um uh, I think I think. Or is that an untapped opportunity at this point? It's it's kind of untapped opportunity at this point, right? Mm. So there there's been a lot of buzz around VR arcade and uh, um, what's going on out there, but um, there are a few people who just you know go to China, talk to the companies, um, chase down the business model, and to really understand what exactly is going on. And when you actually do that. You can find a lot of counterintuitive stuff that you haven't realized, right? Yeah. So it's it's a very different situation, and uh, I think right now there's a huge gap between the content creators with the actual VR arcade operators and VR arcade owners, and the content creators do not know what kind of the VR arcade, what kind of content fits the best into VR arcades, and VR arcades don't have the 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 opportunity to provide feedbacks. Back yeah. to the content creators. So, so what's the um, what's the business model in China regarding content from the content creators down to the location? Um, are they are the VRKs licensing software? Are they paying mm -hmm. for it? Are they are they stealing it? Like in the early days of the of the land gaming market here, right. there was no licensing model, so a lot uh -huh. of the land gaming center operators operated under the table and just used games and hope they didn't get caught. Right. Now there's a lot of talk with Viveport Arcade and different companies trying to figure out how to connect the dots. Right. Um, what's happening in China there? Um, I think there are definitely um, a lot of content being stolen in this case and um, people operate this type of content without the permission of the content creators. Um, um, that's, that's just in inevitable at this point, right? It's, um, it's something that has to be there during the early days. Yeah. Um, but I think at this point, um, the VR arcade owners, you know, they are trying to standardize the process of how they operate. And for the 
and there are also companies licensing the solutions to the VR kit owners, right? So when they do the licensing, it's not only about hardware. Sometimes they have a software package that they are licensing to the VR kit owners as well, right? Yeah. So basically, in that case, the content creators are able to um, to talk with the um, VR arcade companies who offer the solution, right? And the and the solution providers is gonna provide this content to the VR arcade owners so that everyone can benefit from the whole value chain. Right? So there's a business model that works. It's just mm -hmm. a function of how do you how do you how do you get your product to market? I'm right. thinking that somebody is listening to this and you know. Eugene Jarvis and, and uh -huh. George Petro, for example, from Raw Thrills, say, right. hey, there's a massive opportunity. Uh -huh. Let's build a, the most amazing multiplayer VR arcade game in the world, which I know you guys could do if you're listening, um, <laughs> and bring it to China. How do you yep. do that? And there is a model, if you have right. the right context and connections, to be able to bring and protect mm -hmm. your IP right. in that business there, right. I think. I think, um, I think it varies depending on what kind of the content um, it is, right? But most likely, it's a social content, right? Yeah. Um, and for for social content, I think we can classify it as three different categories: competitive gaming, right? Mm -hmm. So players versus players, so that more fits into the esports scene, right? The second is co-op, right? Mm -hmm. You know, players work together or you know uh, explore the world together, stuff like that. And the third category is uh, non-gaming multiplayer VR kit. Mm -hmm. um, type of experience for example the wave vr so they are doing the, the kind of vr edm right people enjoy electronic dance music in vr together right so i think uh, there are these which has to provide an amazing spectation experience as well right yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah so you know brief very briefly there are these three different categories and uh, for example for the first category right the vr competitive competitive uh, gaming type of uh, content. Um, so what we are trying to do is, actually we are talking to a few partners in China, um, so that we want to, uh, with a network of VR arcades, right? We want to push one VR eSports title at a time, so that, you know, in all the VR arcade within our network, yeah. they are all marketing doing PR and trying to push this content to their customers at this time of frame, right? Because one of the problem with this type of content is that you always want to match doing matchmaking with the right right opponents mm -hmm. and within let's say five minutes, right? right. You don't want to wait like uh, thirty minutes. Like the early Xbox right. Live days, right? Yeah, you yeah. Go a day to find yeah, a exactly. Match. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to wait half an hour and eventually um, matched with a opponent that's you know uh, on the other side of the glo uh, globe, which you know you guys have uh, three second latency yeah. while the game play, and he's much stronger than you, right? <laughs> so you got beaten up yeah. every time. So you always want to match make with players who are at similar skill level, who's close to you, and um, within a very short frame of time, right? But for VR, one of the problem is the installation base is very limited, so it's hard to push a content like that if you just launch yeah. it online. Right? Never happens. So I think you know the pretty much the only way to make a VR esports title work is through the VR arcade. Yep. And through all the VR arcade within this network, they push one content at a time to say, hey, you know, whether this content 
have the chance to be a hit or not, right? So there is a company that we are working very closely with. It's called All In VR. And What's what it called? It's called All In VR. All In VR. Yeah, All okay. In VR. Right, like putting yeah, all like, the tapes in yeah, VR. Like poker, right? yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so basically, what they are doing is they are applying what I have just described to you, and um, taking a step further, they are hosting a lot of offline arcade uh, events so that you know during the time when a arcade is pushing a specific content right they set up a small regional tournament to say hey you know who's the best players in this region and they um they they, they have then then you know regional players are gonna compete with each other to find out you know who's the best player nationwide right yeah. so by pushing this kind of offline tournament um, it can increase the the fan engagement the retention rate and to to provide a initial community around this title right is the is the tournament offline is it asynchronous or is it synchronous but just based during a certain time to drive concurrency how, it's, how are they offline it? it's, it's offline, offline. Okay. it's actual real life event right? got it where oh, you know okay. so it's yeah, it's, it's in a physical. It's location. in a phys Got physical. It. It's well, it's specifically in the arcades. Yeah, right? yeah. It's specifically in the arcades. But it's not tying arcades to arcades. Is it online tying arcades to arcades, or is it in one specific site? Uh, I think it's in one specific site. Got it. Right, because you you want first of all you want to create this dynamic, this um, this energy around this title, right? Yeah. And the second thing is um, you you want to you you want the players to have a. Um, a chance to meet with the pro players, mm -hmm. so that they they feel that they are part of the community and yeah. it's something that's important to them. Right? Interesting. So, so what's um what lessons do you think um, for my listeners who, unless you know, hopefully you extend this and, mm -hmm. and well, we wind up with a bunch of listeners in China, sure. but um, through your social networks. But for the listeners in America that are thinking about opening a VR arcade or on the fence or operating a VR arcade, what lessons from the Chinese market do you think apply to this market today and in the near future? Right. I think, um, first of all, the VR arcade business model has not been validated yet. So uh, before you uh, spend millions of dollars to, you know, to open a huge arcade, Definitely, you want to do um, do some experiment first, running some pilot first to validate the business model yep. before you started doing that, right? And second thing is, um, I think running a VR arcade at this point is very similar to um, to running a restaurant, right? It's you know running a restaurant. You, you can you can build a very successful restaurant just because you have a good recipe, right? right? You have to make everything correct from the lo the selection of the location to you know how do you offer the service, right? It's not just about content; it's about packaging the content and the the experience as a whole service to your customers, right? So from the moment the customers step into the arcade, it's a starting point where they are they are start consuming, right? It's not it's not the point that they put on the headset, right? Right. So you know the onboarding process, um, the user, the profile creation process. How do you track player data and all that kind of stuff? That's all very important in this whole process, and you need to make this whole package and tailor this whole package so that it fits into the customer's need, right? Yeah, I think that's and, a great point. Uh, and I think you know if you can if you can uh, validate the business model in one specific location, then you can try to repeat. The same type of business model 
in multiple locations and try to franchise the solution. Yeah. Right. So, um, so what kind of just what kind of companies do you look for as far as within your portfolio? What's the ideal investment, both size and mm -hmm. and opportunity that you look for? Sure. So we mostly focus on seed stage deals. Um, our average hike size range between 100k to 500k, okay. and we are pretty flexible in terms of the full spectrum and the VR AR space, right? So no matter hardware, software, content platform, B2B enabling technologies, developer tools, we we look them up, right? And uh, I think at this point, what's particularly interesting to me is that number one, uh, companies um, have strong synergy with the Asia market. Um, number two, companies who not rely on existing market but able to drive the adoption of VR by offering their product or service to the market, right? So it's uh, it's kind of meaningless to talk to me about how big the market will be by 2020, but it's more um, much more meaningful to talk about, okay, how you can, by offering this product or service to the market, you can convert um, customers from non-VR users to VR users, right? Yeah. I think those are very interesting. And the third thing is, I think, you know, um, any type of product that's um, targeting the kids, the younger generations, right, will be very interesting here because most likely this generation will be um, the generation that grew up with uh, VR AR as a default new media. Versus right? versus the millennials and, the, versus and, even, the the, millennials and, and even the Gen Zs, right. or whatever they're going to call them with yeah, smartphones. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, and I'm very bullish on VR education as well. Yeah, VR oh, right. yeah, VR. That's a whole nother podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I'm doing some just really early research on on VR as potentially a human centered technology, right. and I think that there's a lot of um, it's been brought to me recently. I think mm -hmm. There's a lot of interesting right. things going right. on. And there. also, it's it's also interesting to look at VR education from the China perspective, yeah. right? Because the Chinese education system differs a lot from the U.S. education system as well, right? It's more centralized system. Yeah. And when you want to penetrate into a centralized system versus a distributed system. If you can, in a centralized system, if you can just tap into the center of the system, yeah. you can penetrate the whole system. like Hundreds instantly. of millions of children. Right. Yeah. Um, and also the, the Chinese market, right? Or the Asian market in general, the parents care so much about their kids' education. Yeah. And I remember I read some data that, you know, the average uh, spending of, um, of the household income on their on their kids' education in China is over twenty percent, but in the wow. U.S. it's less than five percent. Wow! Right. Yeah. So it's not a, just a difference in terms of the number of students, but the spending and how how much people care about you know their kids' education is different. Right. Yeah. So if we can push the HMD to the schools, um, the parents are gonna you know put the headsets into their house as well, and if they can do that. Um, you know, if if some uh, some parents of some kids saying that you know they have some uh, some of the kids' friend have their headset in the home, yeah, they they are fear of missing out, right? Yeah. So they want to put the headset in their home as well. Yep. So that's gonna drive the adoption of VR in that case. Interesting. Wow. Right. So um, so Ryan, thanks you for joining us. This is look, guys. This is um. 
this is a per, this should be a perspective shifter for you. I think that, that we just like I just came back from the Middle East, and I'll I'll do a podcast about this about how that shifted my perceptions. Um, I think that we in America specifically have perceptions about China and what it was, um, and it's becoming a very different thing. And and I think um, I think you know I'm starting to see a lot of Chinese companies bring their amusement industry out of home stuff into the U.S. markets, um, I, just in the Middle East, just not of the U.S. market, the global market. And at the deal show I just went to. There were probably 20 or 30 companies from China showing VR products for the out-of-home industry. So it's um, it's exploding over there. It's trickling over into the rest of the world. And um, and I think if you're in the you know if you're an operator or an FEC owner or whatever you are in the amusement industry, you need to really keep one eye on China and maybe get on an airplane and go over there and, and get your feet on the ground and turn over some rocks and see what you can learn. It's a big world. Yeah, yeah. That's how you learn. Yeah, that's how you learn. All right, Ryan. Thank you for joining us. Um, thank you so much. Uh, how do how do they if if somebody's got an interesting thing or they want to pick up a conversation with you, how do they get in touch with you? They can just shoot me an email at uh, Ryan at ApplesVC.com. Awesome, and I'll put that in the show notes um, as well. Uh, and guys, if you want to continue the conversation, replaymag.com, where you might be hearing this podcast. Um, it'll soon be available on iTunes and Google Play. And, um, you know, we've got notes. If you want to shoot me an email, bobc at bobcooney.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, S, um, at scdude. Um, I'm all over the place. Just Google Bob Cooney Replay and you'll find me pop up. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. And this is Bob coming from VRLA for Replay Magazine. And we'll be back. Thank you.